Everyone's schooling at home, but it's not quite the same as homeschooling. And while some families are stressed out by this transition to schooling at home, homeschooling is keeping our family and farm together right now. That's what I'll be talking about this week, along with a quick farmer Q&A about pricing strategies to accommodate social distancing measures. You're listening to episode 16, Essential Kids, on the Hearth of Sapbush Hollow. But how will they learn calculus? I heard that question repeatedly when we started on our homeschooling journey. It was a pre-corona world where mastery of math and sciences, expansive extracurricular involvement, and stellar test scores were the necessary recipe for the necessary acceptance at that necessary university, which was supposed to unveil the necessary career for the necessary middle-class life. I was more interested in making sure my kids learned how to cook breakfast. To the college-educated, career-track professional, my family's vocation could seem quaint. For a few years, we enjoyed a spike in popularity because small farmers appeared hip, trendy, and photogenic. But in the eyes of mainstream America, we were essentially on the verge of obsolescence. Our Sapbush Hollow family made our way in this world like most of the farmers before World War II. We grew food for ourselves and our community, we relied on family labor, and we reduced our need for big incomes with basic domestic self-reliance skills, cleaning, mending, homegrown entertainment, home cooking, etc. When Bob's and my advanced degrees failed to unveil a life with more promise and opportunity than a life on the land with my family, we went back to my roots. Hence, Calculus was a far lower educational goal than teaching our kids to scramble eggs. I'm reflecting on this journey as my teenage daughters pile into bed with me before going off to sleep. We've climbed the stairs after our nightly indulgence of watching an episode of one of our favorite shows. Tonight, in light of the news about the Wendy's chains running out of meat, Bob and I also showed all three kids old Where's the Beef commercials. Hey, where's the beef? They've never eaten at a Wendy's or any fast food restaurant, so the significance of this appears lost on them. They're more interested in telling me about our day's work on the farm. 
Sersha, my fashion maven who's taken to wearing steampunk and renaissance outfits with her face mask when she goes to Cobleskill, describes in graphic detail her efforts to dislodge a feces blockage for a newborn lamb while Cory held it for her. Ula expresses the sorrow we all feel over rounding up the first batch of chickens for processing. Sersha asks me to talk her through the process of pulling a lamb. Ula wants to troubleshoot the steps to take when the head comes out before the feet. Sersha tells about stripping a ewe's udder that afternoon as the afterbirth released, describing the loud splat as it hit the bedding pack on the barn floor. Both girls giggle as they wiggle their fingers to imitate the ways a newborn lamb communicates with its tail. Full waggle means hungry. Tiny twitching means I gotta poop. I'm agog at all three of these kids, at their joy in the farm work, their endless labors without complaint, the wisdom and care they employ as they balance the stress of the weather and these times with the dysfunctional quirks of our family and the needs of the animals, and their rapture as they explore the mountains and hillsides when not working. I still haven't gotten around to teaching calculus, and I'd be a liar if I didn't admit there were times before this pandemic when I worried I was doing them a disservice. Homeschooling, for us, has structure, but nothing like a conventional school day, much less the new online schooling that public schools have had to implement overnight. Lessons are a tiny part of the day, conducted in under two hours, four mornings each week. The rest of my kids' time goes to pursuing interests and helping in the family business. And while they pass all their standardized testing, they've never gotten perfect scores on any test ever. Sersha outright refused to sit for a college entrance exam, let alone consider applying, and I don't think Ula's eyesight would even permit her to endure a prolonged timed test. As their peers pursued selective private schools, AP coursework, and prestigious internships, my kids had their moments of doubt, too. Their friends, it seemed, were preparing to do something important with their futures. Were we going in the wrong direction? Should we push harder? Achieve more? Pushing too hard took the joy out of learning. Racing to too many activities ripped at the seams of the family business or just ruined our fun times hanging out together. For us, the choice to homeschool was an engagement with learning, but a dismissal of much modern conventional academic success. It was also a choice to safeguard a dying culture, to teach our kids how so many generations of our family and neighbors have lived so that we may pass this land on to them and they may know how to make a life in harmony with it. My eyelids are growing heavy as they talk. While they've been dealing with the physical work on the farm, I've been dealing with the invisible work, insurance policies, bookkeeping, customer communications. We're all worn out. But as I drift off to sleep, my chest puffs with pride. Because of these kids, 196 chickens will find their way to 196 dinner tables next week. And in two weeks, 150 more will go out. Two weeks after that, another 150 more. These lambs they are caring for will move out to pasture with their mommies next week, and they will nourish local families all winter long. 
When I think about my generation's necessary recipe for success, the necessary extracurriculars, the necessary test scores, the necessary college, the necessary career, it's all upside down now. Colleges are uncertain they'll be opening their doors. Students are uncertain whether they'll be attending. Many folks who managed to score those necessary careers after college are suddenly wondering just how necessary they are. And many are even wondering about what parts of a middle-class life are still necessary. But here on this land, I drift off to sleep with gratitude in my heart for these kids. True, nobody taught them calculus. And they're not using their academic time to knuckle down in advanced mathematics with the plan of someday doing something important. As the days grow long and the season makes its demands, they're learning on their feet, making choices every day to do something important right now. And our community is benefiting with the food security they provide. Maybe they'll eventually go to college. Maybe they won't. But no matter what happens... After life returns to normal, these kids will know that during one of the hardest periods in the recent history of this world, they're essential. Corey, Sersha, and Ula, I love you all. Thank you for what you're doing. This podcast happens with the support of my patrons on Patreon, and this week I'd like to send a shout out to my patrons Karen Rogers and Vivian Kaufman. Thank you, folks. I couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to help support my work and gain access to exclusive content, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month by hopping over to Patreon and looking up Shannon Hayes. As a reminder, our virtual general store has a new homepage and a new look. You can find it at sapbushfarmstore.com. There you can order your meat and groceries, our books, soaps, skincare products, wool bedding, and yarn. We are always happy to ship non-perishables, but now we are also shipping meats. We're still committed to keeping it local and regional, which means if we can get a package to you overnight using UPS ground services, then you are now within reach for us. That does include all of UPS Zone 2, which includes the New York metropolitan area. So hop on over to sapbushfarmstore.com and check out our meat packages as well as everything else we've got. It is an honor to be your farmers and help you cook at home with nourishing ingredients. If you aren't local and you're sending your food dollars to your own local farmers right now, thank you. This is going to keep our community economies going and the local food flowing no matter what happens in the broader world. And remember, our goal is to help the other farmers in our region by assisting with distribution and to help keep you out of grocery stores. If you have an idea about a product we could carry or a way we could serve you better, we are eager to hear about it. Speaking of helping other farmers, I've been getting a number of emails from other small producers, like us, who are working really hard to step up to the plate as the meat industry collapses around us, and to keep making sure that your sales systems meet with social distancing protocols. My efforts to share what we are doing have spurred some questions and discussion, so in order to let others benefit, I'm going to share some of that here. I received a question from Bath, a farmer out near Syracuse. 
Beth observed on our website that we have switched all our meat pricing to a per item system with a range of one quarter pound on steaks and chops and one pound on chickens and a flat price on one pound packs of ground beef and sausages. I know most of us have always charged using fractional pricing, but we're learning that system works against us if we cannot be standing face to face with customers. Beth wants to know why I chose the one pound range for chickens and not the quarter pound range that I used for steaks. Quick answer. Out of desperation, eight weeks ago, I put chickens up for a flat price. My customers didn't mind and we sold out. To be more accurate with new stock, I put in the one pound range rather than a flat per bird price. One pound is a bigger range than the quarter pound pricing for the steaks and chops, but I felt the sheer number of variations on the drop down menu would be overwhelming for customers. I have observed that customers order chicken in one pound ranges, so to keep things simple, I stuck to that. We have gone to an inventory tracking system and these ranges are helping us to track more efficiently, which keeps our website stock up to date and that creates a much better experience for our customers. Beth also asked how we charge, whether it's the high end or the low end of the range or an average. I know you want me to answer this for you, Beth, but only you know how to answer that question. My prices are based on my costs, as are yours. You need to assess your costs and what your market will bear. Make your decision and go with it. But remember, right now, we need small farmers like crazy. You must set a price that enables you to stay in business and meet your expenses. You can't help anyone if you put yourself out of business. And to my fellow farmers, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for the work you're doing. We are not frontliners, but we are the roots of the system. And while we have a lot more personal liberties right now, we are not getting the same downtime either. We've got the usual labors of the season combined with the pressure to get food to the public as safely as possible. Remember that you cannot execute your calling if you are not well. Take care of yourselves. While so many are trapped at home feeling powerless, The work we can do to build health and restore community is endless, but we can only do what the day allows. Get some rest so you can keep going tomorrow. The work will always be there another day. Stay healthy, everyone. This was produced and edited by the sexiest man alive, my husband, Bob Hooper, and the great music we're listening to comes to us from memory. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Feel